Howdy gang, thank you for tuning into Backcountry and Barbells. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at the Sendavet Foundation. Guys, check them out at sendavet.org. Uh, the Sendavet Foundation's mission is focused on sending our nation's combat injured warriors on various outdoor adventures throughout the United States and around the world. Guys, we need volunteers, uh, we need donors, and we need sponsors um, to help fulfill that mission um again we kicked off the summer with a big auction raised over a hundred thousand dollars um we have bear hunts coming out um in the near future and then all kinds of great stuff going on but the goal is to help folks so if you have a soldier that needs help let us know if you have time and like to help out the organization let us know and especially guys if you have some spare change um in your glove box or if you're looking to make a big donation uh head on over to sendavet.org click any link on there, especially the Donate Now button, and um, be a big help. The other provider, uh, PR Lifting, the other sponsor of the show, PR Lifting, Quality Fitness Gear here in the Northwest, um, help help us raise some money to send it foundation, donating a great um, barbell set. But PR Lifting takes pride and passion in providing great customer service and excellent gear to help you achieve your next personal record. Um, I use their stuff swinging a couple kettlebells. I have a slam ball right now. Um, love training at home and I love being able to work with a group like PR Lifting to get great quality gear in my garage that I really only have to buy once um, nothing I've bought from PR Lifting or received from PR Lifting um, do I need a duplicate of for any reason unless I want to double up that piece of equipment so check them out guys uh, PRLifting.com guys and also check out our webpage um, Backcountry and Barbells tons of great information on all the recent shows we've done uh, Trent Fisher episode still up um, we've got some episodes about buying boots and um, layering equipment as we're getting ready for the fall season. But also, guys, if you're looking to take the next step in your home training, um, our base camp program is available. Six weeks of um, great foundational exercises and, and capacity uh, building um, demos and, and things like that to get you not only training, but training effectively in your home. So um, check that out, guys. And then um, that'll be it. You can check that out at backcountryandbarbells.com. Today's guest, um, fired up to talk to this guy, um, Dirk Durham, uh, the bugler. Um, He's also doing a bunch of work with um, Jason Phelps. In fact, it's funny. They're having a great little social media back and forth if you cruise Phelps games calls and uh, um, Dirk's Instagram handle at the bugler. Um, I have such a hard time saying that. I can't figure out why. Bugler. Bugler. Um... Uh, head on over there. I mean, you can watch them have a little fun between the Maverick and the Pink Call. But also, guys, if you follow Dirk's handle, he's uh, he's right now having open tryouts for a cameraman this summer. Um, the deadline, uh, if depending on when you're listening to this, uh, has probably passed or is um, on the release date. But uh, follow him, follow his social media, and see see who he picks. Um, see how that's going. But uh, Dirk is. Uh, wealth of knowledge regarding calling elk hunting elk and um i think i think you'll be surprised to hear how he starts so um for your listening pleasure guys um dirk durham the bugler and um on this episode of back country and barbells thank you very much howdy guys welcome to back country and barbells joe shamanic jeremy day and we do have a third guy in the podcast conversation uh dirk durham how's it going buddy Oh hey there, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so so Dirk, you, interesting. We tried to do this conversation last week, um, but 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 I guess you actually really do live in the woods, and uh, I guess yeah. uh, <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if if you only knew what I had to go through to get to to get decent cell service around here. <laughs> yeah, well, we appreciate you um, going through that for us, and, we, and um, our, our audience here uh, appreciates it as well. We, we plan to pick your brain quite a bit here and uh, get what we can out of you in this 45 minutes to an hour. And um, But again, just, just to extend a big thank you from everybody. But, uh, you know, as, as, as we start the conversation, I want to start with where we just left off the, the pre-talk stuff. And um, over your course, you've been hunting for a long time. You've been in this game quite a bit. Um, but even, even actually, we'll take a step back before we even get into that. For folks who don't know you, do you want to give a general roundabout about your, your just hunting experience and how you how you went from just a guy hunting to now you know you're the bugler? Excuse me, the bugler, and um, you're making calls, you're doing things, you're on you're on great series like um, 
the Born and Raised series. We saw you on uh, uh, Destination Elk, too, as well. So uh, now you're a bit of a hunting celebrity. So it'd be cool to just talk about, in, in brief, how you went from a guy who was hunting to now a guy making a living hunting. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a funny story or a weird story or I don't know. It's kind of a lackluster story more than anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I I grew up in a hunting family, um, and my dad he didn't bow hunt, uh, but my dad and uncles and brothers they they rifle hunted and stuff. Um, and I remember listening to all their stories as a kid, you know, their hunting stories. And my uncle, he'd always bring over, he had a subscription to every hunting magazine in the world back in those days. And he would bring over his leftovers and give them to us. And, uh, I would just devour those things. And as a kid that when I couldn't even read really yet, you know, just a little kid and I'd flip through the pages and look at the pictures and, and I just loved them. Later on, I started, you know, once I learned how to read and, and, uh, and got past just looking at pictures. Then I kind of read some of the articles and stuff, but, but I always wanted to, I always wanted to hunt. And, um, and so I started out deer hunting and, um, just fell in love with it. Um, my mom and dad would drop me off, you know, 13 year old boy, they drop me off in the woods and say, all right, we'll be back at dark or so and pick you up. (laughs) Which I mean, I mean, who does that these days? I mean, I remember my son when he was 13. I don't know if he he couldn't find his butt with both hands, let alone find his way out of the woods. I mean, the the kids these days, I mean, man, I feel bad for them. Listen, it's not uh, just kids. My wife, when I mentioned solo hunt, she about puckers up like a lemon's in her mouth. Like, and it's no, it ain't happening, she says. But, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I started out at 13 years old going out in the woods by myself, whether I was scouting or whether I was deer hunting or whatever. I just wanted to be in the woods, uh, walking around the trails, looking at, at, uh, all the un, unsolved mysteries of the forest of, of, of deer. And, uh, man, I loved it. And I did it all the time. And, uh, when I was 15, uh, we'd, we'd been doing some, a fair amount of, uh, firewood cutting in the summertime and we'd been seeing all these bear tracks and, and in this, in this pond, and you could see where he, you know, he'd just been there. You know, the water was muddy and he'd been wallowing in there. And I wanted to shoot a bear really bad. So September 1st came along, opener of bear season. My dad dropped me off about an hour before first light. I had to walk about a, about a mile up this road and then and then uh, sit, sit under this great big ponderosa pine tree because I was going to wait for this bear. So I'm sitting there and the sun rises and, and it's a perfect morning. I got my rifle and... and uh, I hear the brush popping and I'm like, man, here comes that bear. I can't believe it. Man, this is a great plan. I'm going to get a bear. And out walks uh, a bull elk and three cows. <laughs> and, well, this is archery season, right? So I got a rifle and I do not, I do not have a, a bow with me. And so I just have to sit there and watch them. And they walk out to 15 yards and, and get a drink. And then they get in the water and splash around. It, it was it was awesome. It was like the best thing I'd ever seen. And, uh, the, the whole time I got this itchy trigger finger, I was like, Oh, if I only had a bow, I could shoot that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat there and finally they, they, they walked off and went back where they came from. And my old man wasn't supposed to pick me up for a few hours. So I, you know, the whole time I'm just sitting there, all I could think about was elk. I'm off bears at that point. My guy, who cares about a stupid bear? <laughs> I, I want to shoot an elk. That's awesome. So, so he finally comes and picks me up, but I get in the truck and I start chattering like a squirrel about it. I said, okay, okay, we got to drive to, we have to drive to town, which was probably a 45 minute drive and pick up some arrows and some broadheads. And I'm going to come back here tomorrow morning. And I'm going to shoot that elk. And my dad just like, no, you're not. <laughs> you can't, you can't kill an elk with a bow. He says, I'm like, yes, you can. I seen there's magazines. I've seen, I've seen people shoot elk with bows. He's like, you can't kill an elk with a bow. So I was so ticked off, man. I was like, I was just so deflated. Cause that's, that's what I want really want to do. I want to shoot that elk with my bow. So I said, well, you know what? I'm saving my money all next summer and I'm going to buy my own bow, my own money. I'm going to come back and shoot one of those. I guess I wasn't, 15 i was actually 14 at this point <clears throat> so the next summer came and went and i worked my tail off uh working in the hay fields you know putting up hay for farmers 
and I saved all my money. And my dad could see that I was pretty serious about it. And he's like, well, you know what? I'll tell you what. If you <laughs> let's make a deal. If you kill an elk with your bow, I'll pay you back all the money that you spent on the, on that bow and all your gear. I'm like, all right. Nice. I'm, I'm like, I got this in the bag, right? <laughs> so, so I practiced all summer or the rest of the summer with my bow and, uh, and my calls, I got calls and I sounded terrible. Uh, and my best friend, him and I both were like, we're all in, we're, we're both going all in. We bought all the stuff and, and he bought a certain kind of calls and I bought a different kind of calls and, and I'm pretty sure we both sounded terrible, but I had a teacher at school that gave me, he had a, a VHS tape. I had seven hours that he'd, uh, he'd, he'd taken from other, uh, other VHS tapes and recorded on this one master tape. And it had Larry D Jones and it had all these, all these bow hunting legends on it, all these elk hunts. And, uh, I'm like, well, we're going to learn how to hunt elk right here off this video. So we watched that thing <laughs> and it, it got so blurry. I don't know if you remember when you were a kid and you're trying to watch HBO and you didn't have a subscription. I hear you. It's all, all the funny lines and the... Yeah, it gets all fuzzy it, and in and out. Yeah. I watched that VHS tape so many times. It was almost like trying to watch pirated HBO, right? <laughs> so, so opening day comes. My best friend and I, we go out to this spot. And one of the farmers we'd worked for, he's like, yeah, you guys can hunt elk. Oh, you're not going to get one. We get there and there's like 30 elk in this guy's field. And, and it was a wheat field he hadn't cut yet. It was a kind of a, a, a wetter summer. So he hadn't got to harvest yet. And so we get out, we kind of sneak around and we're bugling at this elk. And and uh, I've got my bugle. And, and I notice my, my brother-in-law, he don't have any reeds. Well... I, I had actually used his bugle tube to bugle at this elk. And I said, here, let me keep this tube and you move up. And cause I'd forgotten my tube. <laughs> I said, you move up and I'll call for you. And he's like, no, you'll just call it to yourself. <laughs> like, no, I won't just, just give it to me. So we had this little back and forth about it. And finally he just took off. <laughs> well, he had one of these things that's called an elk talk. I don't know if you remember one of those elk talk things. It was a little plastic thing. looked like two credit cards stuck together with a rubber band on it. Whoa. And, uh, it, and it kind of sounded like, I don't know, a funny bird or something, but so he jabbed that, the elk talk thing and the end of his bugle tube and started blowing on it. And it, these elk were so dumb. Nobody messed with them ever. No, it's like <laughs> bow hunting hadn't really caught on there locally down in the low country. And, uh, that bull and, he started bugling, getting pissed off and, and, uh, but he was still out in the field, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't come in, you know, he stood out there 200 yards away. So my buddy hunched over, put his bow up over his head. This is the most ridiculous story. It's not even believable, <laughs> but this is honest to God truth. He put his bow over his head and hunched over and, and he went kind of bouncing out through the wheat uh -huh. <laughs> and, and then he just kind of disappeared into it because the weed was probably about three, three feet tall. So he just kind of crouched down and that bull, see, I'm watching from the sidelines because I didn't have my bugle tube at that point. And that bull came at a dead run at him. Mm. And I'm like, Oh no, he's going to get killed. The bull's <laughs> going to kill him. And <laughs> he, uh, the bull runs up there and I'm like, and it stops. And he just kind of looking in the, into the wheat. I'm like, why isn't he shooting? Why isn't he shooting? And then all of a sudden the bull runs off. And uh, then he goes back over to his cows and bugles and kind of herds them around and then they leave. So here comes my buddy and I'm like, what happened? Why didn't you shoot him? He's like, I tried. <laughs> I shot and I missed. I'm like, well, where'd you hit? He's like, I have no idea. <laughs> well, <laughs> what pin did you use? I don't even know. I didn't look at my sights. <laughs> But he was like, it was like a 15-yard shot, and he missed. Unbelievable. So, he was yeah. probably still amped up, huh? Oh, yeah. So yeah. we were just like, oh, my God, we're the best hunters in the world. <laughs> Already we got bugling bulls opening day. So the next the next day we chased bulls around again. And then the third day of season, my buddy and his old man got into it over something. He he, being mouthy or something, his dad grounded him. He's like, you can't go hunting today. 
So I had to go out by myself and I didn't have a driver's license yet. My buddy had a driver's license and my mom said, well, I'll take you out. So she took me out to this other spot and uh, she's like, I'll just sit in the truck and wait. I'll listen with the windows down. So I got this bull bugle and we kind of exchanged bugles back and forth. And I called, called this bull in and uh, it was like 15 yards and I shot him and, uh, he ran, I don't know, two or 300 yards and piled up. So she had to go back home and tell my dad. <laughs> I'm like, I'll wait here. You go get my dad and uh, and tell him to bring, you know, all the stuff. So, which this is flat country, right? So we'd kind of planned out that he'd use like a come along. If I was to get an elk, he'd use a come along to come along the elk into the back of the pickup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's been a lot of years since I've loaded an elk hole, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so she oh she my. goes home and she she goes into the house and says says get your get your come along and get your four hundred and fifty bucks. He's like, why? Because <laughs> Dirk shot an elk. And he was just beside. He could not believe it. He was just like, there's no way. So he came out. We loaded it up. I don't think I ever seen my old man so proud, but. Um, yeah. but we That's loaded awesome. that thing whole and, and that was my first bowl, first year bow hunting. It's been hooked since. Have you missed a season since? Uh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> That's no. so awesome. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things that stand out to me. Um, first off, your, your dad taking you from, you can't do it to being so proud. But then the other one is, I think the, uh, an unsung hero in that story is mom and, and, to throw credit to moms who just let their boys do things from, from driving them into the woods and letting them, you know, have given them the confidence to, to pursue something like this. I think that's a great story, man. What a, what a, what, yeah. what a great coming up. And too, the, the third thing that sticks out is just starting. Don't, don't worry about the perfect scenario. Just get your bow, get out there and, and, and work out as you go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, uh, I didn't even have a pair of, boots hunting hunting boots i wore my last year's tennis shoes that i wore at school right my old crappy ones i didn't wear my good ones but i wore my my old crappy tennis shoes from the year before so i mean guys that think they have to have you know a 1500 outfit and 400 boots and all the all the expensive gear i mean you can do it without i mean if you want to hunt some of the real extreme stuff of course you need the better gear but right but some of this there's a lot of elk hunting to be had in the lower country that you don't need all that stuff. I mean, if you're on a budget and you just, you just wish you could go, but couldn't afford, you know, the very best things and you, you can get out and do it. I mean, it, you can do it. Yeah. You don't have to backpack in or spend three to five days yeah. or what have you. Yeah. And, and even with the more, the, with the wolves and all this stuff and more predators coming in, they are pushing them down a little lower too. So. Oh my God. There's like where I live, I live about 10 miles out of town and there's more, there's more elk in between my house and town than you'll ever see in the back country. I mean, you'll, during certain times of the year, I'll see a hundred elk on the way to, on the way to work. And, uh, you know, it's private, a lot of it's private land and they feel safe here, but, but that's what's happened. You know, a lot of the elk, the ones that didn't get eaten in the back country have pushed, pushed into this front country to where they feel a little safer and they're just getting closer and closer to town all the time. So why the general intrigue? I mean, even myself, I'm relatively new. Um, this will be my, my only second elk season. Uh, I've been hunting for five years. But I have this intrigue to <clears throat> to want to go to the next mountain, to go deeper. And, and there's something romantic or hard or it's tin cup yeah. sy- syndrome where you just want to do it the hard way. So it, when did you start going from, I mean, even after that first bull, Dirk, was it like, okay, I, I got one here. Now I got to go get one over there. So the first few years um, of bow hunting and then all these low country elk, we kind of figured out, you know, they made a big circuit. If they weren't at, at this one spot, they'd be at the other spot. And if they weren't at that spot, they'd be at this other spot. And there's this big circle they would make. So you check all the spots every morning until you fi- you found them you, and you, you always find them. And uh, we did this until, I don't know, we probably were about six eight years in, eight years in, I suppose. Hmm. And, uh, and then because we never, we had the place to ourselves. And then all of a sudden people started figuring out, we started, we started seeing other hunters and it's, it's low country. It's not big country. And a little bit of hunting pressure went a long way. You know what I mean? So bulls started getting skittish. They started moving to places where you didn't know where they're at. There's some, there's some nasty terrain to where, 
I mean, it's would be almost impossible to get an elk out of. And that the bulls that start moving to those places, they grab their cows and move into those places. And we're just like, yeah, I'm tired of fighting people. So we started going to the mountains um, up high. And so what we would do early season, you know, around the opener, we'd hunt local. And then as season would progress, we'd go to the backcountry. It seemed like the bulls would bugle in the backcountry better late. And they'd bugle really well early in the front country. So, oh, so so that was that was the game figuring it out going up high a little bit. So again, you just you decided a uh, little bit more pressure. We're gonna we're gonna move around. Um, yeah, which yeah makes sense. I mean, I think a lot of guys now. I mean, it's interesting that the idea of pressure. How much of so, like you said when in the beginning, no one was hunting these elk. Then people picked up on it. How much pressure does it take to kind of spook out your your old spot because you know you hear the elk aren't here anymore but is it that they're not here or that just pressures put them somewhere else uh, a lot of times they, they just it's the pressure you know they'll they'll bust out of there um you know you get them in one spot and you start calling at them and and uh let's say they see you or they wind you and they spook hard well they may run you know i've seen them run for a quarter mile you know away on you know, the flat country but you know in the back country that that might mean they might spook into the next complete drainage um but nothing spooks them like wolves you know wolves wolves will make them either they either won't move they'll just clam up and hunker down or they will move and who knows where they're gonna move they may move five ten miles away at that point up in the back country so well that changes their whole behavior on how they <clears throat> they communicate with each other, right? They're, they oh, they absolutely. they kind of just shut up. They don't say anything. I mean, you're you're not getting your bugles. You're not getting your cow calls. You're not. I mean, then it almost gets impossible to call them in, oh, unless yeah. you get a few curious ones because they all know it's hey, we're supposed to be quiet. Yeah, kind of. There was kinda a, interesting. There was a study recently done. Well, within the last five year five years about the impact of wolves on elk and how much stress. So. So the cows have been put through stress. They have all these stresses in their life. They have the winter stress, you know, going through a tough winter. They have, they have hunting season stress. Well, now that the wolves have become a part of the equation, um, they're, now they're stressed year round, you know, in the time of the year, they should be, you know, relaxing and, and nurturing their cows and, or their calves and, and providing, you know, sanctuary for their calves and their little spots. Now they're on high alert and they're stressed. Well, that's that's creating a lot of weird things going on with their bodies um, and and rut cycles and they're not able to rut like they used to. And now we're getting calves dropping at weird times of the year. So then so if you're getting calves dropping at, later in the year, you have a smaller calf going into the next winter and they're not really prepared. So there's all these different parts of the equation of why there's low calf recruitment. And a lot of it has to do with the uh the interruption by wolves to the elk's life cycle mm. and you don't really hear that much in conversation you just hear what the you know the immediate effect they eat them and they chase them away but they're having a very negative impact overall yeah and you'll hear stories and i th- there, there's there's a thought on doing similar studies even in even in spots like colorado where where recreation is now all year in some of these these mountain spots where through hiking and whatnot that even the animals will feel a bit of pressure there and and sorting out what kind of stress that puts on them just because you know they should be bedded down you know living living the good life for a few months right and then all of a sudden you got a bunch of just humans stomping around pushing them around doing certain stuff and um then jeremy the other thing the thing we were listening to about the mule deer too um those biologists were talking about um what would determine size and strength of of the cows was or um the, the mule deer coming up would be the fat content or the health of the mother you know the healthier the mother was was a big determining factor in how healthy uh the herd would be or or that single mule deer going up i wonder if that's absolutely if that's similar with with the elk if they've, they've done something similar or how how those studies can transfer from species to species yes well that was one of the other points too they said that uh their fat content was less because they'd spent less time feeding mm-hmm. and yeah. relaxing and more time being on alert and being on the move. So, Well, and their old migration trails are the, 
you know, they would go up into the areas with the high fat content of grass and everything. And if the wolves are up there waiting or pushing them around up there, then they're going to go down lower where uh, the grass doesn't have the right vegetation to keep them healthy, too. So, right. So, have you noticed noticed these trends, Dirk? I mean, like, so again, I'm coming up on my third elk season, um, which is great. But you know, I'm I'm just kind of fresh into this, looking at it, not seeing trends. Is, is it always a trend where they're good one year, they're up one, they're down another, and it kind of has ebbs and flows? Where you know, you might look at it from season to season and go, that season was terrible, and this season was great. But as you look back on the past twelve seasons, it's generally pretty average. I mean. Or have you noticed in recent trends that there are an alarming decline in, in, in these critters? Oh, yeah. There's a there's been a huge change. Um, and then, you know, year to year, you, you see different trends, too. Like last year, we had such a drought. Um, it was a it was in my 30 years of elk calling. It was the the worst the worst year elk calling I'd ever seen. And this was wow. last year? 2018. Yeah. Okay. You know, for tight tight-lipped bulls and elk being in weird places and and that was all over you know the i went i hunted colorado wyoming and idaho last year and it was that way all three states it's just kind of a weird a weird year um so it's been like that in washington the last two years as well too yeah but then you'll get a banner year it's like so and i think i think a lot of a lot of it has to do with moisture and feed and, and uh, all that can all those conditions but definitely the wolves have a huge impact on you know just elk numbers in general it's back in the old days you would go you'd say all right i'm gonna set up my camp right here i'm gonna hunt the whole season in this drainage you know he was just it was it was perfect he was like the stereotypical elk camp nowadays you can go ahead and do that but you may not see an elk in the whole in the whole week or 10 days you're there or, or even a whole season, you know, you have to, these days you got to be mobile. It's like, well, there's no elk that'll bugle here. I'm moving. And you just kind of check this spot, check this spot. Kind of like what we did down in that low country as a kid. Now we're doing it in a bigger, bigger, uh, bigger fashion in the back countries. I may, I may move camp 20 to 50 miles, depending on the condition of the elk hunting. And, and a lot of people just don't understand that, or, you know, they have this stereotypical idea of what elk hunting is all about. And, and the sad part is you spend a lot of gas getting over to the to the next spot to where you might actually hear some elk bugle that here in a wolf country, you know. Well, and, and, and another way to go about it that I've seen um, some guys do, especially uh, the born and raised crew, is them covering ground. Um, if they if they if you don't want to spend the time in the truck, they're they're using mountain bikes and things like that to just get in in yeah. different drainages and doing stuff like that, which lends itself to, in, in either way you look at it, it seems like if you're going to want to be a successful elk hunter, there does have to be a degree of, of fitness in the sense where you need to probably in this current climate, you probably need to be ready to cover ground. You're not going to be able to just hunker down and, and, and get your whole heart party to tag out. If the goal is to get a few animals down or even get the right one, you need to go from this spot to that spot and be ready to be ready to get it a little bit. Oh yeah. You know, for instance, let's say, uh, we're in Wyoming, uh, a typical day of hunting. Wyoming miles are different than Idaho miles because there's less brush in Wyoming, but, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll usually in a, in a, in a nine day hunt, we'll, we'll, we'll hit close to a hundred miles of hiking in the week. So, you know, per day, we're anywhere from 10 to, 10 to 15 miles a day um, in rugged mountain terrain at a higher elevation. And that takes a fair amount of, of physical fitness and desire. Um, you know, I'm not the fittest guy uh, out there. There's a lot of guys that are way more fit than me. Um, but I, I've got the desire and the, and the grit to, to push through the, the hard hiking and the hard hunting. But, uh, but it does take a certain level of fitness to, to, to do that. And, you know, there's no doubt about it. You know, there's, that's always been an argument. Um, you don't have to be fit to kill an elk. Well, you don't, I mean, you, you can kill elk, you know, but nobody's ever complained that they were in too good a shape. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've complained a lot that I wasn't as good a shape as I should be come elk season. And, you know, I'm sweating Krispy Kreme donut grease out of my forehead. You know, it's, that's where right right that's a pretty good sign and a pretty good time to be like have a little talk with yourself and be like i should have done more in the preseason (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, what do you? So, what do you do? I mean, honestly, I know that you're you're rubbing elbows with some guys who are promoting a lot of this. You know, between Elk Shape and you're being a part of that camp. I mean, uh, if is there any particular? You know, for a guy who's working full time, a guy who is just ready to say, "Hey, you know, I, I do want to make some improvements going into this elk season." You know, that have you come into a certain form of training, whether it's running or weights, that that has improved your capacities in the woods? Yeah. So, and there again, I'm not going to say I'm I'm the the guy that spent a gym rat and spends a ton of time in the gym, but um, one thing I I do for the, you know, I kind of start this time of year a lot, um, is just walking, you know, sure. If you can't, if you can't get to the elk, um, then you can't hunt them. So, and walking is about the easiest exercise. So I kind of start on the flat stuff, um, turkey season, bear season, and then start getting into the steeper stuff. Um, and then by the time, uh, August is rolling through, um, I'm, I'm hiking that there's this, uh, really steep ridge system. There's some trails here close to close to my hometown here that I'll go hike every night and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll make five, five or six mile loops, you know, and, and you're, you're, you've got about a thousand foot, uh, elevation, elevation gain and, um, and then another thousand feet descent. So just getting your legs strong, getting your, your feet strong, uh, getting your cardio up and pushing yourself to hike fast and, and breathe hard and sweat on those kind of things. You know, that's a, that's a pretty, it's, it's difficult, but it's, it's a pretty easy workout. You know, anybody can do, I mean, anybody can do that. And then as far as weights go, you know, a guy, whether you want to go to the gym or you can do it at home or a home gym workout is, you know, get some, some heavy dumbbells, some 25 or 35 pound weights and, and do a lot of dumbbell exercises, you know, work on my shoulders and, and, uh, you can do a lot of push ups and, and stuff like that, working on, you know, setups and just getting your core strong. Um, I don't get too, carry away like any magical workouts like there's some really cool stuff out there but i kind of keep it simple and and i i definitely could probably do a lot more with it too but that's just kind of what's what's works for me yeah but i think it's important to hear and you know a lot of folks will say yeah you know you, you it, it, in the same way that you just started elk hunting and just did it like i think it's important for people to hear that no matter where you are you can always do something to improve what you're currently doing so you can be better for tomorrow. I think that's just a good message to, you know, rather than try to find again, the magic workout or the magic exercise or the magic piece of equipment, start with walking, you know, start with a set of dumbbells and, and, and get after it. I think that that's a great message that, that folks need to hear because that, that it improves your chances of not only getting, making the harvest, but it probably improves your chances of, of making an ethical shot. I mean, to some degree, doesn't fitness also, come into that component of it where it's not just about covering mountains, but it, it, it gives you a chance to make the right shot as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you gotta be shooting your bow. You gotta be, and if you're strong, cause you've been doing some dumbbell workouts and shoulder workouts uh, and you have to hold your bow for a minute and a half on a bull elk when he's, yeah. you know, waiting for the right shot, you can do it. I mean, in, and I, I, my always thought is, is like, well, I may not be in the, the, best shape of the guy in the woods but i'm better than i was yesterday so sure. let's right. say i didn't do any push-ups yesterday well i'm gonna do 10 today well that's all i had time for that's all i had motivation for well how about tomorrow let's do 10 more hey we can probably maybe fit in 20 or you know whatever it is the, just the, the little things and pretty soon you start getting you start putting those things together those little pieces together and then and now now when it was tough to do 10 to push-ups now you're doing 50 and um so there's a lot of just little things you can do just to get better than you were yesterday. So, Yeah, and I think people get hung up on the fact that I got to get in there for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or one hour, and then they think that they have to be in those blocks. And so what you're saying is perfect because, you know, you don't have to be in there for a certain amount of time. You just have to do a little bit here and a little bit there, and eventually it'll it, those building blocks, like you're saying, I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. I, you know, I, here's something I never really told anybody, but like, uh, when I worked in my last job at the office, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? You know, lay down and do setups or push ups in the office? No, but when I'd go to the bathroom, go in the restroom, I'd do a bunch of air. Every time I'd go take a leak, I'd do a bunch of air squats, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'd come out of there breathing heavy and people would look at me. What, what are you up to, bro? 
I'm doing my doing my squat thrusts. <laughs> well, you know, though, it, that's a funny story, but it brings up a, a good idea that, like, even, you know, if you have that eight-hour, nine-to-five in the office, there's sneaky ways to get your fitness up. And, and if that means putting your computer on a box and standing at work, that's going to help you where you can do more, you can cover more ground by walking because you're on your feet more. If You know, I, I've heard Absolutely. I've heard office guys who are in their office start challenging people. I, it, to some degree... It's as simple as, you know, on Monday, maybe you pick squats and you just set a grid up for a couple folks where, you know, maybe Dirk walks up to the grid and does seven, just writes that number in. And then the next guy walks up and he's going to do eight. And then all of a sudden, you know, your crew's pounding out 100 burpees and you look back at the end of the week and and then you can be proud of what you've done. I mean, I I, I think, Jeremy, you bring up that good point. Everyone thinks they got to carve out 45 minutes to an hour. What you just need to do is do something. You know what I mean? And and it's amazing how those little things will add up to just being better. And I I think sometimes what the the trap there is people want to – you know, everyone's done this, you know, like you said, you do your 10 push-ups and you can see them, them testicles start to poke out a little bit, right? And you're like, oh, I, f- I feel good about this. But, you yeah. know, when you're doing some of those, when you're matriculating that fitness, you just don't see it as quickly. So you're just kind of discouraged a little bit. So, but just get it, right? Amen. Absolutely. Yeah, little 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 rant there. But, uh, <laughs> ooh, you'd like to see it because, you know... <coughs> I don't know. You hate to see that guy. Maybe they are the guy who spent $1,500 on their rain jacket. You know, they got their bow tuned up great. And then all of a sudden, you know, they spent all this time calling. And then all of a sudden, you're standing atop a drainage where you hear one bugle. And the guy's like, uh, I don't know if I can go down there. You know, that, that'd probably be the saddest story. And yeah. I don't even think they'd say, I don't think I can. I, what they'll do is like, I'm not. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've been in those scenarios with guys and they just look down and no. It's like holy smokes, we got to action. Come on! <laughs> so even to some degree, that if, if that fitness level will just give you some confidence to 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 pursue to to pursue the hard road. I mean that that's worth it in itself. Um, so so Dirk, to, to switch gears a little bit, I want to get into some of the calling. You've you've been calling for thirty years, uh, calling the, these elk. Uh, that game itself has to be something you have to look at and go whoa this is different now because i can only imagine your your options in terms of calls now versus what they were when you started are are vastly different oh yeah so i live in you know small town america north central idaho and there was a a pawn shop that was about 12 miles away from my hometown and then there there was a, a a larger town that was about 30 45 minutes away and they had a couple sporting goods store but but the pawn shop, they had, they had all sorts of hunting stuff, but they had a better call selection, and, which was funny. In a town of about 600 people, right? So <laughs> we went up there and he loaded up on calls and we, we'd bought several different kinds and there was only one kind I could really use and don't even make them anymore. But, um, but, but today, and then, and then just how to, the, just how to learn how to do it. Right. right. Well, I had a cousin had taught me how to how to turkey hunt and how, taught me how to call turkeys when I was about 13. So I was familiar with a diaphragm read. So I, I kind of got past the, the tickle and the gag reflex. And, uh, so I kind of, I was able to take that call and elk pretty naturally, but, uh, but there was not a, maybe a cassette tape or maybe a, you know, some DVDs or not DVDs, <laughs> VHS tapes of, of how to, you know, people going hunting, but not really how to hunt or how to use the diaphragm calls. So, but today, I mean, you look it up on YouTube. I mean, there's, there's, there's courses you can take. There's what, the sky's the limit these days on on how to learn it. So it's crazy, all the information out there that for people to, to learn. So there's not really any excuse at all to not learn how to call elk unless you just don't want it. So, so well, what I find interesting is this: even with all this modern technology, you could figure out how to do it, and the success rate is still down in the tens and twenty percent. That's what's yeah. that's what's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's lots of desire. People they want to they want to go out and do it and and kill. They like the thought of doing it. They like the thought of going and killing an elk. But um, sometimes you know you hear people talk about killer instincts or whatever. I think there's a lot of that, you know, there's, I think, you know, I think probably where most guys go wrong is, 
and they're like, all right, well, you know, this is my, my one shot. I finally found an elk that wants to bugle and this is my one shot and I don't want to screw it up. So they kind of play the safe game. They, they oh. kind of hang back and they don't, they don't go all in, you know, they're just, they're like, well, I, let me be very calculated and, and play this out just perfectly or the elk will, will, will detect me or whatever. But, but when you watch elk and what, when, when they're actually calling back and forth to each other and they're, they're going to fight, they don't calculate much. They kind of have their screaming match. And then pretty soon one of them goes to the other and they kind of square off and sometimes they fight, sometimes they don't, but they're, they're a very aggressive animal. So I, I guess that's why I've always been, you know, successful is because I always kind of, I don't try to act like a hunter when I go hunting. I try to, what would an elk do? You know, hmm. I try to flip my, my brain into elk, elk brain. Right. Right. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to get this thing pissed off to where it wants to fight. I'm going to go over there, try to fight him, you know, and, and it seems to work. They don't seem to get so freaked out about it. Well, and, and we were talking, we were talking with Dennis Dunn about this. And, and I guess the other thing is too, in terms of setting up and his thought on this was, you know, elk will be aggressive in that way until what was the quote he said, Jeremy, or the idea that elk will move as far as they can see to what they can't see or something. It, the sense that, like, when you're setting yeah. up, you're not going to, you don't want to call behind, like, a little two-foot bush and crouch down and get all small. Because if it's a wide-open country and you're behind that bush and noise is coming from behind that, he's going to know, um, well, there's obviously not an elk behind that bush, right? So Absolutely. you, you want to set up He, he said that you can, an elk can only hear as far as it can see. Yeah, so so in terms of just sorting some of that stuff out too, uh, Dirk, I mean, just over time, I, I'd imagine to get your elk brain sharpened in the right degree, not just kind of trying to hide and trick it like a human would, but to, to be aggressive and challenge an animal in the way that other animals like it would challenge it. I mean, does that experience come overnight? Is that something that you had a knack for early on, or, or, or did you kind of hone this over those eight to 12 first years of, of getting into it? Yeah, I, I figured that right out, out right off the bat for some reason. I just, I just, it made sense to me. Like these things want to fight. Yeah. And if one doesn't budge, I'm going to, you know, move up, you know, and, and, uh, because I guess because maybe I was just a dumb kid and I thought, well, I'll just try whatever, <laughs> whatever I try until it works. Right. Sure. And that always, and, and that always seemed to work. So that's kind of what I'd always go to, uh, is, is to be aggressive and get close and, and move up on them until, and elk, elk do this little thing that it's like, they have this little game they play. I, I feel that, you know, you get them to bugling and you get them pissed off and you cover most of the distance and get close and, there's like a little bit of a, like, it's like, okay, I go, you go type of thing. It's like, uh -huh. all right, now that you've came this far, okay, I guess I will kind of come out and show myself. And, mm. and sometimes, and there you go again on setups, if you're in that open country, the bull finally comes out and shows himself. And if you're not within range and he's in its open country and he can see, it's like, well, I showed myself where are you at. I gotcha. And, and even if you play a smart, and you're like, you stay quiet. You're not hunkered down behind that bush, just blowing your cow call like steadily, you know? And right. he's like, there's no elk behind that bush. I can, it's a tiny bush. Yeah. There's no elk there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you play it smart and you don't say a word, he'll come out, look around. It's like, well, here I am. Cause there, if you, if you ever watch any, any elk films or whatever, elk will come out and they'll kind of, these bulls will kind of come out and check each other out. They'll, a lot of times they'll parallel with each other and they're kind of sizing each other up. And sometimes they fight, sometimes they don't. So if you don't show yourself, it's like, eh, you're a coward. I think they just like, you're either a coward or they think if there's a lot of hunting pressure, they think, well, something's up here. Mm. So you, if you're going to do that setup, you need to set up to where when he comes out to show himself, you're within range and you have a shot. So that means as soon as he pops over that ridge, let's say you're, you are in open country, make sure if he's popping over a ridge, a lot of times them things will come up over the ridge and then they'll stop and they'll look and all you'll see is their head, their eyes and their horns, right? Uh -huh. um, you need to set up to where you're standing within bow range of that bull when he comes and does that. So if you set up with that every time, and let's say you have a collar you get your collar back there to where he's going to have to come to the top of the ridge and look. 
to see something, well, you got to make sure you're standing up there to to take advantage of him stopping up there. No, I that makes sense. No, it, no, it, that that makes perfect sense. It makes sense because, like you said, they're they're like us. I mean, in, in to some degree, where most guys I know, the, the fight that they want is, I guess, they want the fight they can win, but they also want the fight that's going to challenge them a little bit, right? I mean, and, and to some right. degree, with those animals, they want it too. If it's not, I guess, in this game where you know every interaction with an animal is is life or death in a serious way even even in the mating scheme i mean they're trying to spread their genetics so they can you know that's it's this instinctual thing to just to to move their bloodline down down the way i mean to them that's life or death and they probably don't want to waste time poking out you know and and, and playing playing poke with with someone who's not willing to come out of the woods right so Right, they're going to want to fight too the the right way. So it's it's interesting. Is this um are elk smart in this degree? Are they thinking about this, or is this based off on instincts? Because you hear guys want to say animals are smart. They're they're too smart for this. Or are they keen to to hunting pressure and and what humans are doing? Or is this just instinctual reactions to ah, I've heard this and seen this play out before, and and my buddy didn't come out of the woods when he did that. So. Um, I'm not picking that fight today. I mean, in your opinion, are they smart or is this, is this an instinctual thing? I think they're pretty smart. Yeah. Um, case in point, one day I called in this bull and I called him in like three or four times that morning. And I missed the first time I called him in, I missed and I hit a branch and then he took off and I screamed a big, uh, ripped a big scream at him and took in after him and called him in three more times. But every time he'd come in, I was wide in the open and there's no, nothing to hide behind. And I just have to lay down flat because he'd do that thing where he could, he'd come up and his, he'd have his head sticking over the hill. And anyway, I pushed him really hard that day to where he finally quit bugling. And the next day I'm like, well, I'm going to go back out there. That thing's out there. So um, I went out there and he wasn't on the same, same ridge that he was the day before he'd moved a little bit, but I could see him. I could look across this old clear cut and I could see him out there. And as soon as I bugled at him, he ran, he ran the other way. So that in my mind, it was like, and maybe he'd come back after, after we'd played our game, maybe he'd snuck back there and was like, well, I'm going to figure out who that bull was. It was messing with me. He came over there and maybe smelled where I'd been, um, where I'd laid in the ground or whatever. So to where the next day, as soon as he heard my bugle, he ran. He ran like there was, he was feeding quietly, and I bugled, and he ran like <laughs> something had spooked the crap out of him. So I think they're pretty smart in that regard. They'll, yeah, I think they're darn smart. And uh, as hunters, we're out there educating the elk, you know, really, as far as like you're saying, you go out there and do something, they come in and investigate it, and they find out it's a hunter or they catch wind of a hunter, and then they, they, they put that up in their noggin and they remember it. Are there certain? Well, it's like Pav- it's like Pavlov's dog, right? He rings the bell, the dog salivates. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, are, are there things you can do, Dirk, in terms of your calling to from from day to day on the hunt to to switch it up? Because I'd imagine, to some degree, they have to be aware of certain tones, right? If if they can pick up, you know, could could they pick up the difference between like a synthetic elk call and a and a real cow and and or to some degree, is that a matter of, okay, maybe they remember the tone. I mean, sh- should you be switching up and using different diaphragms or, or, or changing changing the pitch, changing the note a little bit to just kind of to kind of trick them, right? Yeah, I think a guy could do that. Um, I'd never really do that. I, I just try to make as most authentic sound as I possibly can. Um, and if a lot of times if I've kind of screwed it up and, and spooked them, I'll just give them a few days. I'll, I'll leave that spot and go somewhere else and then come back in, in two or three days later after they've kind of got, had some time to like not think, not, not think about it anymore. Sure. Yeah. And, and then try it again. But, uh, but I know guys that have done that, you know, they'll have two or three different bugle tubes that they'll, they'll use and, and they're successful hunters. I don't, I don't know if that's was the key to it, but, um, I just usually to go to do the same, same thing at all every every time so well and that elk is going to be harder to hunt right because he's going to be on a hundred percent alert 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So to, to switch up your calls, sometimes I think it's a good strategy and you might call in another bull, but that particular bull that you were doing a dialogue with, I think he's, you know, he's dialed way, in. way harder to hunt. What's that? No, I was going to say he's dialed in. He's, he's, he's on alert. Yep, yep. exactly. So, so Dirk, as, as, as we kind of come to the, the tail end of the conversation, I know that, you know, you have some cool videos on YouTube right now about, you know, how to do elk calls. I mean, if, if there's a guy right now, as this podcast comes out, who, you know, we've given enough information to go, you know, I'm going to do this hunt and um, I'm, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a reed in my mouth. And I'm going to bring one in, uh, in terms of calling, um, where do they need to start? Um, I, I feel like it, most important things you're, when you're starting is, is call selection. Um, I think a lot of guys will be like, eh, I bought this one call and I tried it and I hated it. I couldn't make it work or, or whatever. But a lot of times guys will take that one call and try to try to bugle and grunt with it right off the bat, which is, I mean, that'd be like jumping on a, a dirt bike and try to pop wheelies the very first time you've ever been <laughs> on that. You know? it, it, it doesn't work that way. So the be- my best advice is buy four, three or four or five however many diaphragms you can afford. I mean, everybody's got a different budget, but buy as many as you can. If that means two, if that means eight, do it because, and, and buy different ones, you know, whether it's different brands, different, or, you know, a lot of different companies have, have several different options within their own lineup and just see what you can make noises with. And instead of trying to bugle with them, you got to make noises and, and start building on some fundamentals. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I hit on on my, on my YouTube video series on, on how to use calls is let's, let's first figure out, pick out a call that you, you, that feels comfortable in your mouth and you can make a noise with. Okay. Now let's make some fundamental noises. Now let's turn those fundamental noises into calls. And now that you kind of know how to do that, and then you can kind of take on some of the more complicated calls more some of the next level stuff. So, yeah. And yeah, yeah, for some people it's, you know, they pick up on it right quick and other people, it takes them a long time. It took me, it took me three to five years to really figure out how to use a diaphragm properly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was so frustrating for me. But, and sometimes, like I say, it, that might be the call. You yeah. Know, guys will be like, well, my buddies always use these calls. So I use them mm. and, or my dad or whatever. And then you pop them in your mouth and you're like, yeah, well, this must be the way they all are. And then you struggle for a few years until you kind of figure out how to make that one call work. But maybe if you went with brand X versus brand Y, then, then you'd have put it in your mouth from the beginning and you're like, Oh, wow. Well, there's, there's nuance to everything, right? I mean, even as we were turkey hunting, you know, um, Jeremy's pulling out these different calls that were doing different things. And it was just maybe a cut here. This was laid there. This is, this has got two or whatever. This is a different size. And I think, I think that that's, yeah. that's cool. And I would say the other thing that's been helpful for, for me is, um, you know, watching videos. I, I like your videos because you, you don't try to outsmart the, the, the folks watching them, which is great. So, okay, make the mosquito noise. You know what I mean? Then, then, <laughs> yeah. then make the mosquito noise and get punched in the stomach. Right. So I'm like, Oh, and, yeah. um, I'll listen, I, I keep a call in my coffee cup, um, in the car and I'll also take it to work with me. So rather than using a whistle um, when I'm coaching the kids at school, I'm out there. Um, I'm out there with the elk call and, and teaching them too. So, I mean, honestly, I think again, as as we kind of tie it up, we were talking about it fitness wise. There's 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 fitness to be earned on the fringes of your activities, and even with this, I mean, you don't have to sit there for. 30 minutes alone in a dark room, you know, watching a YouTube video you and, and practicing your calls. I mean, yeah, get, get, get a couple ideas and just get out there and practice. And, um, it, it's lots of fun. I, it's funny. My kids at school know you Dirk, Cause the one day I was doing it and they were asking me in my class, how do you know how to do that? And I was like, well, do you want me to show you? So I pulled up the YouTube video right at the end of the class there and I played it. So, uh, there's a bunch of, <laughs> there's a bunch of eighth graders in, there's a bunch of eighth graders here in Lakewood that, 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 that know your videos, Dirk. And uh, oh, awesome. I'm doing my best to try and bring young kiddos into the fold here. So uh, we're, we're working yeah. that out. And Dirk, yeah. now you are on a new venture here, a new endeavor with uh, Phelps Game Calls, huh? Yeah, yeah. I went all in with elk hunting. Went all so in. now you're 100% in the elk hunting world. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and he, you even have some of your own signature um, calls now, the Maverick, right? 
Yep, yep. Got the Maverick uh, diaphragm read. We got uh, the double D external Dirk Durham, Dirk Durham uh, <laughs> <laughs> external nice. mouth, cow call read. We got the Renegade bugle tube, and then we and then I got this uh, little uh, uh, call pouch to put your pouches in. Those are all kind of my my signature line stuff. Well, I need, I need that call pouch because as much as I just run around with all these different calls, I've lost as many as I have. I've lost more than I currently have right now just because, you know, I'm, I'm out and about doing stuff with them. I'll put them in my pocket, put it in the shirt thing, do this. So so maybe I need to maybe I need to look into to getting this pouch together so I don't lose these damn things. Absolutely. Yeah, they're pretty handy, pretty handy. Well, um, two things, Dirk, as, I, as my thoughts are. I think your parents are pretty awesome between dropping you off alone in the woods and letting you hang out at pawn shops. I mean, they just let you figure it out. So, 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 you know, we talk a lot about kid stuff on here. So maybe folks out there, just let your kids live. Right. And it just, just be, just be close enough where you can keep them out of danger, but let them figure some things out. So I thought, I thought that was pretty cool. Jeremy, uh, your closing thoughts before we give Dirk the final word. Uh, no, I would just really appreciate you coming on, Dirk, and sharing your knowledge. And I, it, it's wonderful on these podcasts because I always learn something different all the time. So uh, the uh, elk peeking over the ridge thing was something I learned this time. So yeah, we, they do that a lot. <laughs> well, but, they, they got them. They, Jeremy, you told me one time if they, if they look at you with one eye and then turn that head around to to confirm with the other you know you're in a little bit of trouble so you, so you you're, it's game over you better get it going <laughs> yep well cool dirk so so we've, you've told some great stories um hopefully there's some some tips or tricks in there folks can to do with can, can practice and do with what they like but if folks want to reach out to you um if folks want to learn a little bit more about what you're doing um is there a best place to send them yeah so on youtube my youtube channel is called the bugler one word Yep. And it's also Instagram, uh, the bugler. It's one word there. And on Facebook, I have a, a page on Facebook. So the bu- it's the bugler also. Kind of tried to keep it simple. That's way it's easy to find. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I kind of keep all my my shenanigans and whatnot on on those three platforms. And and uh, so, yeah, I, I'm gonna have some more videos come out in the next few months. And uh, you know, I'm collaborating with Phelps all the time to to do more uh do more videos on his channel as well his channel he <laughs> he started one out here a few years ago and then forgot the password and all that so <laughs> he had to start another one i'm probably in trouble for selling that but <laughs> oh that's all right <laughs> makes got, we're, all, we're all human here but you know you mentioned shenanigans yeah. you i will say this and one thing that i've appreciated is um you you and if there's a way to get kids into the sport and, and grow folks into hunting, it's to make it fun. And I will say that whether you're on with the Born and Raised series or you're you're rubbing elbows with uh, Corey Jacobson or even your own videos or even your stuff with Phelps and you're kind of teasing at the mattress guy that we've talked about here. Um, oh, yeah. You, you go about it with a with – a, with a funness where, yeah, this is what I do and I take it seriously, but that doesn't mean I have to be uptight about it. Like there's a great humor about it. And I have to say when I'm, when I'm often in the woods, I'm like, yeah, it's still meant to be fun. I'm not going to be up here all bitter about the situation, no matter what happens. So in that regard, um, I appreciate it. If if you want to be entertained, go check out Dirk's stuff. I mean, in that degree, you'll have a chuckle. Yeah. You know, my, my thoughts on it are if you're there to have fun, you've waited all year, this is your vacation. This is your free time. This is, you've chose to spend this time to enjoy yourself. And let's face it. Sometimes elk hunting is very, very hard and Mm. it'll, Mm. it'll eat you up and spit you out. And if you get too serious and a lot of times you can just like, you can lose all your hope. You can get too negative and you're like, ah, heck with it. I'm going to go home and mow the lawn or paint the house for the wife, whatever, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, it keeps you in the field. And I, and I feel like if you can just joke around, especially when it, things get really hard, if you can just stop and laugh and do some shenanigans and stuff, that'll kind of keep you there. And it's like, okay, that's my reset button. Okay. Things are not all lost. Let's, let's start again and try something different. So just yeah, yeah, that's awesome. go out there with, with a happy attitude. And after you get punched in the guts a few times, <laughs> then, then turn around and, and laugh it off and then go again. It, it'll be fine. Never give up. No, that's it. Never give up. Have a chuckle about it. And, uh, you know, also just keep track of your stuff, right? I mean, to some degree, you've yeah. just been 
you know, it's one thing to just do stuff, but to be able to look back and have a thorough analysis to sort out what you could do differently to be successful might be the, the last thing to throw on the end of that. But uh, no, Dirk, it was awesome, man. I've been been watching your stuff, and um, you've been really helpful in me making noises with my mouth in a different way. Um, it, it gets my wife to look at me in a different way, which is fun, um, which is always <laughs> nice, you know. Sometimes I feel like I just want to surprise the old girl, you know what I mean? So um, in that degree, you've also helped me, so... Uh, um so so thank you sir and um man we we really appreciate your time so um great stuff guys i enjoyed it thank you for having me on cool i have to say guys i had a great time recording that conversation with dirk hopefully you guys enjoyed it half as much as i did but um in the meantime uh, you can find out more about dirk by following his instagram feed at the bugler Uh, check that out guys see who he picks as his cameraman see how things unfold um in his chronicles versus uh the pink phelps call and the maverick um i'm interested um i'll be getting both uh and and getting my chops ready for elk season and while you're at it guys please um check out sendavet.org if you would like to help that mission please do so let them know that um we sent you and also guys pr lifting quality fitness gear here in the pacific northwest lastly guys check Check out our webpage, Backcountry and Barbells. We have programming options, options to review the show, all kinds of stuff. Please check it out. But until then, train, hunt, and live the best life possible. Thank you very much.